Good morning, Indelible Grace Church. Uh, my name is Wade, one of the pastors here. And you guys are situated differently than you we usually are on Sundays. And um, for those of us who are joining um, at home, um, I don't know if you can see anything, but uh, we're at a different spot at San Felipe Park. There were a few parties here um, this morning, and uh, this required a lot of um, running around and uh doing things differently and i want to recognize the crew that was here this morning um they had to move everything from over there to here i saw them running up and down as i was doing the member interview with uh, the kwongs um they're rushing to make sure that everything was able to be the way it is right now and um, i want to especially thank tracy she was the one that oversaw everything um we had this was an issue we had an issue with getting the equipment here on time and this is the sort of thing that people do behind the scenes that a lot of us aren't aware of. And I just want us to recognize that. I want us to, um, to, to know that there are people that love you by doing things behind the scenes. And if you get a chance, please thank them. Um, they put in a lot of work. And um, for those who are joining us on, on the live stream, a lot of work goes into that as well. I don't think people recognize how much work goes into that to make this happen. So this is an act of love toward you. And God allows this because God loves a church and through all these logistical difficulties, um, all the challenges that we've faced since the pandemic began, um, he's been faithful to us and we're able to hear the word. We're able to fellowship with each other. So I hope that we approach this with um, gratitude uh, for the people that make this happen, but also especially to God for allowing us to worship together. Uh, our text today is from the book of Deuteronomy and uh, before we read it in Deuteronomy chapter 3, um, I want to give us a little bit of background. So we've, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy, and today we're going to talk about this uh, this very tragic episode in the life of Moses. So you might remember that as we've been talking about the book of Deuteronomy, it's a collection of sermons or speeches that Moses gives to the Israelites. And today we're looking at the exchange that he had with God as, as he and the Israelites were on the outskirts of the promised land. Uh, this is in your bulletin. You can also look in your Bible from Deuteronomy chapter 3 verses 23 through 29. Let's look at this together. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verses 23 through 29. Moses speaking, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. And would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westwards and northwards and southwards and eastwards and look at it with your eyes. For you shall not go over this Jordan, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of his this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. This is the word of God. I want to begin our time with this question. What do you want more than anything? What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to suffer for? What is it that your mind is set upon? And what if you never get it? 
I think of the athletes that were expecting to participate in the 2020 Summer, Summer Olympics in Japan. Um, if you know anything about Olymp Olympic athletes, they train for years and years. Perhaps from the moment they began walking, they start training for whatever sport it is that they take part in. And they train because they want to compete in the Olympics. And this is what they eat and sleep and breathe their particular sports. This is what they focus on every waking moment of their lives. And the prospect of being in the Olympic Games is what motivates them to sacrifice in order to make this happen, in order for them to be there. And there were a lot of athletes that were expecting to be at the Summer Olympics in 2020. And then of course the pandemic hit and every athlete that was expecting to be there, suddenly they were told, it's not gonna happen anymore. You're not gonna compete in the Olympics this year. Can you imagine how crushing that would be? How disappointed would you be if you were one of these athletes? In today's passage, Moses recounts a moment like that. If you remember the story of Moses, he encountered God in the burning bush. This is in Exodus 3. God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves, into the promised land. And in the decades following that encounter, Moses watched God perform miracle after miracle as he provided for his people in the wilderness. Moses, he carried this heavy, heavy weight of leading this entire nation for decades. He watched the people of God wander from God. He listened to their incessant complaints. complaints. He dealt with their bad attitudes. And yet, Moses, he remained faithful. He continued to serve God. and He continued to serve the people that were put under him. And he must have been thinking about this, that God promised that they would go into the promised land. And he thought about this. That's what he longed for. And, and think about, th put yourself in his shoes. Think that you're going to get something that you've been looking forward to for so long. Like the Olympic athletes. And then magnify that by 10 or by 50. And that's maybe how Moses felt. Can you imagine when God tells him that he's not going to enter into the promised land, how crestfallen he must have been. And this is what we're going to look at as we look at today's text in Deuteronomy. This is the problem that Moses thought that he was going to enter the promised land. This is what he looked forward to. And then he's told it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's the end of the story. Is it? In our time together, I want us to understand what this passage says about the severity of sin. We look at Moses' Moses's sin. Uh, we're going to think about what a relationship with the Lord looks like and how it is that God's people can still enter the promised land if we trust in the Lord. And to do that, we have three points which are in your bulletin. Number one, the sin of Moses. Number two, the request of Moses and um, the relationship uh, that, that Moses has wherein he can make a request to God. And number three, the responsibility of Moses. So these are our three points. And uh, my goal is to help us understand what's going on in the, in the passage. So the first point, the sin of Moses. Moses is a sin. God tells Moses he's not going to enter into the land because of a specific sin. 
if, to understand this passage, we need to go back to Numbers 20. And this passage in Numbers 20 contains the account of the sin that Moses committed that he that's referenced here in Deuteronomy. So you can turn to your Bible if you want, if you have that available. Numbers 20, this is Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 through 13. I'm not going to read through it, but I'll explain, I'll explain to you what happens. So here's what happens. The Israelites, they are in the desert. They're complaining about the lack of water. They tell Moses that they would have been better off as slaves in Egypt because at least there they had food and they had water. And Moses and his brother Aaron, they they ask the Lord what to do. And God tells Moses to speak to the rock at Meribah. And when he does that, water will spring forth for the people, just as it did before in Numbers 17. So Moses hears this from the Lord, and he goes out to the assembly of the people. But instead of doing what God told him to do, he chastises the people. And then he strikes the rock. And this is the sin that God holds against Moses. This is the sin that prevents Moses from entering into the promised land. That after all these years of service, this one sin is what God holds against Moses. This seems like a harsh penalty, if you think about it, maybe. Because after all, didn't Moses carry this impossibly heavy responsibility of leadership? And shouldn't there have been some understanding of the stress that Moses must have been under? And what's so bad about striking the rock? Because he did this before. This isn't the first time at Meribah. And in the end, water still came forth and the people still got the water that they needed. And how can it be? How can Moses be denied entry into the promised land for this one single sin? Didn't he faithfully serve for 40 years? Surely the good he did far outweighed this one bad. In order to answer these questions, we need to understand what's really happening in Numbers 20. In that account, God tells Moses what to do. But when the time comes, there are three things that don't happen. God tells Moses, I want you to speak to the rock and water will come forth. But Moses doesn't listen to God. First of all, Moses addresses the people, which God doesn't tell him to do. God told him to speak to the rock. Second, God tells Moses to only speak to the rock, only speak to the rock. But Moses strikes the rock. He strikes the rock. And Moses also, he strikes the rock with his staff. And each of these actions in this account in Numbers 20 represents an offense to God. He makes himself the authority by speaking to the people. And thereby he makes himself a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks to the people. Moses is making himself the prophet in this instance. And then Moses, by striking the rock, he says, I'm going to be the mediator. I'm going to bring water by my own actions. A mediator, another word for that is a priest. He thought that by what he did, he could bring about the water that God was providing. And then he strikes the rock with a staff, and the staff represents authority or kingship. And thereby Moses is acting as a king. Moses speaks to the people, prophet. Moses 
strikes the rock, priest, I mean, Moses, Moses uh, brings about the water from the rock by striking it, making himself the priest, and then he uses the, the symbol of authority, the staff, the king. So Moses here is saying he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And that's the problem. And this is a really big problem because this is reserved only for God. Only God can say that he is a prophet, priest, and king. And then God sees what happens here in Numbers 20. And this is his response. Verse 12 of Numbers 20. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. He will not be the one that brings the people into the promised land. And there it is. This is the reason why Moses is not allowed to enter. And this is the reason that God is more concerned about his holiness being made known than he is about what Moses wants. And if that's true of Moses, this is the truth for us. That God is more concerned about his holiness being made known than he is about what we want. And this might be difficult to hear, but God cares more about his own holiness. God cares more about his own glory than he cares about your own preferences. He cares about it more than he cares about your opinions about things. He cares about it more than he cares about your desires. And this is not to say that what we want, that what we think is not important. They do. They are. But they are always secondary, tertiary, even quaternary to God's glory. And when it comes to what you want and what, what God wants, we must always submit to what God wants. We'll, we must always submit to Him. We had a uh, member interview with a couple incoming members earlier, right before the service, and they were telling us stories of how God had acted in their life, how He was faithful to carry them through their difficult, the difficult uh, challenges in their life. And if you want to talk about testimonies, if you want to think about testimonies, very often we hear testimonies of God's goodness and, and His His um, His holiness and His glory in our lives by talking about how He provided for us in a certain situation, how He gave us exactly what we needed at just the right moments. Or perhaps we talk about um, our testimonies in terms of how God healed us or how He how He mended a broken relationship. And these are beautiful things, God's testimony in our lives, that God has worked on our behalf. But do you know what can be just as powerful? If you want the world to know who God is, if you want the world to know what God is like, do you know what else testifies of God's goodness and holiness? It's when you lay down your desires. It's when you lay down your comforts and your preferences even if you love them, especially when it's costly. And the reason you do this is because you want to honor God, because you believe that His holiness is more important than what you want. This can be your testimony. 
that God is so good, that Christ is so worth it, that I'm willing to lay down my preferences. I'm willing to lay down my desires. And when we do that, we honor God by saying that he's the one in control, that he's the one that has authority, that he has the right to my life. This can be our testimony. So here in Numbers 20, Moses sins. And the essence of Moses' sin and the essence of all of our sins is that we try to make ourselves God. We take the place that belongs only to God. We don't believe him. We don't trust him. We don't listen to him. And if this penalty for Moses' sin seems severe to us, it's because we don't understand the severity of any sin. See, we think of the badness of sin in terms of maybe how how far down the spectrum of badness and badness and worseness our acts are. We think of the weight of our sin in those terms. But the weight of sin is ultimately about the holiness of God. And God is far more concerned about how we honor or dishonor his holiness than he is about our perception of what is good or bad or what our perception of fairness is. It doesn't seem fair that Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. But that's not the point. The point is that God is holy. God's holiness is more important than our sense of fairness. So this was Moses' sin. That's our first point. The second point, Moses' request. So Moses gets it. He understands that by that act, he tried to take the place of God. He understands how severe it was. And yet he still wants what he's been looking forward to these past 40 years. And if you look at the text, look at verse 24. He appeals to the character of God. O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Moses recognizes God and who he is. And then he makes this request in verse 25. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. God hears the request of Moses, and then he responds with this, verse 26. Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. It wasn't because Moses had bad theology. It wasn't because Moses was earnest in his request. But having a strong desire and having good theology isn't reason enough for God to grant his request. And what does Moses do when his request is denied? He submits. He listens to what God has to say and he goes, okay, all right. And this exchange tells us something about the relationship between Moses and the Lord. It tells us this, that it was a real relationship. There is an intimacy here. Moses is bold enough to beg God to reverse his decision. God tells him the answer is no and to not bring it up again. And then Moses accepts this answer. 
and he obeys the Lord. And do you know what this is? This is trust. This is what trust looks like. The man or woman who truly trusts the Lord will stick around and obey and worship even when God's answer to us is no. You may have heard of this uh, phenomenon called catfishing. I think MTV had a show about this years ago. And um, I read stories of catfishing every so often in the news. And uh, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, this is what it is. Catfishing is when someone pretends to be someone online and they'll create profiles on these dating apps or on websites. Um, they use stolen pictures that they find on the internet. They, they create a backstory of who they are and where they came from and, who, and what their interests are. And their goal is to attract someone who's going to fall victim to whatever it is they're, they're going to do. Usually they want to get money from, from these victims. Um, so what they do is they, they try to earn their trust. They develop a connection. They talk to them constantly. They affirm and validate and agree with the victim enough to keep them interested and they always have a reason to not see the victim in person. Um, and if you've, you've ever read stories of catfish victims, at first it sounds a little bit funny because you think, how silly is it that you would fall for such a scam? Um, but when I read these stories, they're so often more sad than they are funny. I actually know a couple of people who, who fell victim to uh, this catfishing scam. Um, They were strung along by people for, uh, in one, in the case of one person, for years. Um, one one of these people, he actually moved to another part of the state because he thought that his supposed um, partner was down in this other part of the state, and they continued talking. The perpetrators kept on talking to the victim for for a long, long time before anyone realized what was going on. And there are many, many catfishing victims. And the reason why this is a thing, the reason why so many people fall for catfishing is because people are hungry to be loved and affirmed and validated. But all along, the person that they thought they were talking to was fake. That person never existed. Many of us want a catfish God. We want a deity that seems attractive a God who can keep our attention. We want a God who will love and affirm us and validate us no matter what we do. Because why? For all of us, we, we want someone who's not going to challenge us. We want someone who's not going to say no. We want someone who's not going to tell us that everything we do is wrong. And if, you, if you've ever been in a relationship, you know that a re- relationship doesn't really become real until there is friction and, inten- and t- tension. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships here. I'm talking about friendships in general. If two people in a relationship are always in agreement about something, if they always (coughs) affirm each other, if they never get into any arguments, then there's no real depth to the relationship. It's not a real relationship until there's pushback and disagreements and hurt feelings. And here's the most important part. 
It's not a real relationship until both people can say that they're sticking around, they're committed to the relationship, even though there's disagreement, even though there's pain, even though there's challenge. Why? Because that relationship is worth it. If you want a God who's going to affirm everything you think and do, you'll need to find yourself a catfish God. But that is not the God of Moses, and that's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship this morning, He absolutely is going to challenge you when you're wrong. And that's going to be often. The Lord will discipline you because He loves you. He will say no. He will disappoint and anger you. And when he does, what are you going to do? Is God still worthy of your attention? Is he still worth worshiping? Moses thought so. He had a God who would disagree with him. But he also had a God who loved him. Despite his sin, God still cherished his servant Moses. And in the passage in Deuteronomy, he says, Moses, you're not going to enter the land, but you get to look at it. Take a good look at this land. And this was a gracious act on God's part. Despite his sin, God was still gracious to Moses. And in the end, Moses would enter the promised land, just not in the way that he thought he would. In the Gospels, we're given the account of the transfiguration of Jesus. And if you remember um, the, the scene in the Gospels, Jesus is transfigured and two figures appear with Jesus, Elijah and Moses. And this happens in the Promised Land. Moses with Jesus in the Promised Land. The Lord would not give Moses what he wanted in his lifetime. But Moses ultimately did enter the true promised land. This is a God that said no to Moses. And this is a God that loved him. Despite his sin, God was still gracious to him. And God was also gracious to the people of Israel. If you look at verse 26, this is what Moses said to the Israelites. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and you would not listen to me. What's happening here? Moses is saying, it's because of your sin. It's because of your mistake that I was not able to enter the land. Moses bears the sins of the people that he was in charge of. And while he, he, he bore responsibility for his own sin, this passage focuses our attention on the sin of the people. The judgment on Moses is for the sin of the people. He received the punishment that the people earned. And we're told in Deuteronomy, the next generation would enter the promised land. They would enter it. Despite their sin, God was still gracious to his people. 
And in this way, Moses, as the servant of the Lord, what does he do? He plays the role of the suffering servants. If you remember Isaiah 53, this is the song of the suffering servants. And he foreshadows another suffering servant. In this, we see a foreshadow of Jesus. The punishment of Moses was a preview of the punishment that Jesus would bear on behalf of his people. That would be you and me. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, we see a comparison between Moses and Jesus. Both are counted as faithful before God. But Moses is identified as a faithful servant, whereas Jesus is identified as a faithful son. And this passage is ultimately about Jesus. This passage is about the gospel. And this is the gospel, that you and I were created to live in the true promised land. That is, in the presence of God who created us and loved us. And his intention for us is to have a relationship with him. But like the Israelites, we were rebellious. We were whiners when things didn't go our way. So we played God in order to get our way. So that we would have the type of life that we think we deserve or the type of life that we want. And God had every right to deny us entry into the promised land. He could have just let us die in the wilderness, which is what happened to Moses. But God loves his people. God loves his people. He loved us so much that he gave us someone to bear the punishment on our behalf so that we could enter in. On the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of all our God dishonoring, holiness denying sin. Jesus was the son who was denied the presence of the father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead, and he endured hell for us on our behalf so that we could bear, so that we could be in the presence of our father. And this is what the story of Moses is pointing us to. If you are in Christ, you will enter the promised land. You will have eternal rest. You will enjoy the presence of your Father. Despite your sin, despite your sin, God is still gracious to you. Our passage ends with a charge to Moses, and this is our final point. Moses has a responsibility. God says to him, Someone else is going to enter. Someone else is going to take your place and bring the Israelites into the promised lands. And Moses here is charged with the responsibility of grooming Joshua, preparing Joshua to enter the promised land. And this is such a humbling thing to begin this mighty work. Moses led a couple million people for decades through the wilderness and then to be told he won't, he's not going to be able to see the work that he began finish how humbling that must have been and to me as someone who has been pastoring for a few years this is humbling because it means that there's no guarantee I'll be able to see all the fruits of my labor the seeds that I planted 
may not sprout in my lifetime. And this should be humbling to all of us who serve in any ministry at IGC. So many of you are so faithfully serving week after week in the church. You're loving other people. You're doing things behind the scenes that no one else is ever going to know about. And you're wondering, what is going to come of this? If you're like me, as you carry out the work, you have these visions of dramatic changes happening. You want to see people's lives changed. You want to hear stories of how God has so clearly and powerfully worked in your life and in the life of others and in the life of the church. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. But you may not see those things. By the grace of God, we've been able to see those things, but not in full. If you have been a part of our church for long enough, you'll know that we have a ton of problems. You can find dozens of things to complain about. But God is still faithful to us. And if you want to see change in your own life, in the life of the people that you serve, it could take years. It could take decades. You may not ever see that work come to completion. But it's going to happen. It will happen. And this is how it happens. Through many little acts of faithfulness, through many little acts of faithfulness, which will yield very little visible fruit for years in the short run. And the truth is, you may not see what you're hoping for for a really long time. And maybe like Moses, you're not going to see it at all in your lifetime. But this is how God does his work. Very often, very slowly. But he does it through his people. He does it through his people. And this can be an encouragement to us because it means that the work you do is not in vain. If you look at verse 24 again, remember I talked about the good theology of Moses. Um, Let me share with you some good theology. And this is it, verse 24 of Deuteronomy 3. You have only begun to show your greatness and your mighty hand. Moses didn't know what he was talking about when he said this. But here is what God meant. Yes, Moses, you have only seen the very beginning of what I'm going to do. So much so that you're not even going to see it at the end of your life. But I have begun a work. I will show my greatness. My mighty hand will act. My mighty hand will act. It's going to be through Joshua. And here, Moses is acknowledging that God can do so much more than what Moses himself has been able to witness. And he's witnessed so much already, hasn't he? The miracles of God. He watched God provide for his people. And this is it for us. Be faithful because the God that has called you to begin a work, he began the work in you already. He's working in you right now. He will carry it to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And may this be an encouragement to us. The work that we do is never in vain. God is gracious to us despite our sin. God is gracious to us despite our weaknesses. 
and may this carry us forth. We are a church that we, our goal is to make disciples. Yesterday, there were a group of us that were on a Zoom call that um, Elder David and Christina and Anna led. Um, they're a group of people that we have a, a heart for making disciples, or at least we want to have a heart for making disciples. And we want to raise up other Christ followers. Um, and that's slow work. That's hard work. It's going to take years and years for us to see the fruits of those labors. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So may this be an encouragement to us. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled that you are a God that says no to us so often. And yet you are a God that still works in our lives. You are a God that still works in your people. So God, I pray that as we look at this um, this episode of Moses' life, that it would be an encouragement to us to really consider whether we have a real relationship with you, to consider whether we've put our hope in you, to consider if we have, if, if we're willing to put in the work that the end of which we may not see in our lifetime. But you are a God that's worthy of that work. You are a God who will carry it to completion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.